All right, welcome, bottom of the bill fans. We've got a great episode for you today, uh, Mr. AJ Hall. Yeah, what a nice guy. He's an awesome dude, man. I mean, so he plays drums with John Cleary. He's also a producer um, and then has a beat uh, packages that you can buy on his website at, um, at a, was it Left Field? Left Field Breaks. Left, Left Field, Field Break, Drum Breaks. com. Um, yeah, man, he's just a very talented guy and just also a really cool guy to talk to. Some great stories about being on the road and, uh, I mean, the, the unpopular opinion was a fire one today with him. Yeah, that's true. It was. Yeah. 100%. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I thought he was, uh, you know, it's always weird. Like you never know what to expect when you're doing like people that you've never met before. That's all this is. Yeah. Well, sometimes we have like our friends on. That's always like really easy and fun, you know, but we're running out of friends <laughs> basically, which is surprising because we have a lot of them. Maybe AJ Hull. Will be Together. We have a lot. Yeah. Not, but no. individually we have like no friends. Mm -mm. Maybe AJ Hull will be our friend now. Maybe. Um, anyways, uh, Guys, before we uh, let you get to the episode, we have the documentary coming out July 26th, right here on the live episode of Bottom it's of the Bill. Be live. Uh. Um, and then we have our show at 1904 Music Hall with Dustin Monk and the Hustle and Honey What on July 29th. Um, so make sure you get your tickets for that, sidehustletheband.com. And then also, if you're looking for a, a new trip, Bottom of the Bill. Now has merchandise we, for sale. Yes, we do have merchandise for sale. We'll put the link down in the description for you. Yes, we will. So, <laughs> uh, or our um, fucking... Did, do you do that or does yeah. Jay do that? Yeah, sorry. Uh, Billy's going <laughs> to do that for you. Um, and then uh, make sure you get yourself some fucking dope new merchandise. we got plenty of more cool concepts in the works for you. So I've been drinking a little bit. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, so make sure you stick around for that and uh, enjoy the episode with AJ Hall. Bottom of the bill starts now. This is... Bottom of the bill. Where we talk about the modern grind of a musician. Album cycle. Oh, hold on, Bill. Give me a second, man. Because we don't know what we're talking Spotify about. Spotify playlist. You keep interrupting me. That's not how we discussed it. Just give me a second, man. We invite established artists Festival on. lineups. Can I just get my stuff out real quick? We invite established artists on to share their strategy to success. Marketing strategy. Premier do-it-yourself podcast. Hashtag DIY. Aw, oh, screw it. This is Bottom of the Bill. All right, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. AJ, thank you so much for being here. We got AJ Hall on the show. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and schedule to sit down with us and just chat for a while, man. It's a pleasure to have you. Beautiful. Hell yeah, man. Um, so I guess we can get right into it. Um, you are from Tampa originally? or Yeah. You, Born and raised in Tampa, Florida. Recently just returned to Tampa, Florida. Oh, hell, what, what brought you back to Tampa? Um, basically, it was, I had spent, had spent eight years in New Orleans and uh, just playing, gigging, uh, kind of the beginnings of my producing and drum break career but basically i i landed a touring gig my last three years in new orleans i landed a touring gig actually my last four years in new orleans and it just got to the point where i was on the road so much that when i was home in new orleans i was barely working so it kind of got to the point like i've you know i'm i'm married 
we had we had a daughter at the time, and now we have two children. Um, it just got to the point where I was like, man, I'm not doing anything when I'm here because I'm gone so often on the road, you know. So I kind of told the band leader, I told John Clear, I said, look, I gotta I gotta make this move. Uh, you tell me where to be, I'll be there. I still come back to New Orleans like at least once a month, sometimes like four or five times a month. Um, but yeah, so I just, it just, the touring gig kind of took away my even need to live anywhere. Yeah, you right. Know? <laughs> right. It kind of, it kind of made me forfeit that like, you know, there's gigging musicians who listen to this podcast. Uh, if you say no to the same gig five weeks in a row, they're not going to call you to see if you can make the sixth week. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So that just happened time after time after time to where I would be home for like two months and somebody would hit me up and say, hey, man, are you are you, are you home or are you on the road? I was like, yes, I'm home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it just got to that point where it just didn't matter where I lived anymore. So I thought, why not just be around family? And now, now I, live, I live in Apollo Beach, which is like a 25-minute ride to the airport and a six-minute ride to an actual beach. So I'm oh I'm hell good. yeah, hell I'm straight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird thing. Like when people go to to um to like bigger I guess music cities or industry kind yeah. of cities, and they, yeah. they they go there, then they get like these opportunities like right off rip, and there's sure. kind of like uh obviously like you like that's what you want right, but then you take what those, are you paying the rent for? Yeah, and it's also <laughs> like when you cut exactly like, like when you come back like there's nothing to come back to like you haven't worked to yep. establish yourself in the scene. Yep. Like you just yep. you get a gig that takes you on the road or just is like a full time gigging endeavor, um, and then like there's just no availability. So people don't even know who you are after you know six months of being there. Yeah, man, it gets it gets it gets really difficult. Like some some cats are blessed enough to be able to juggle that, but a lot of the cats on the bigger touring gigs I know that's their exact situation, man. It's like when they come off the road, it's like, oh boy, I hope you saved up because <laughs> like you 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 were gone for three months. So there's been a changing of the guard locally, you know what I mean? Right. So it's like, eh. right. You know what I mean? It's it's a hard line to walk if you're just a touring musician, you know, if that's your only source of income, man, that's a you got a budget cuz you're balling playing stadiums or whatever, whatever. But when you get off that road, man, it's like the artist who the artist who you play with, they might pay you a $1000 a show, right? That's awesome. What if they only play twenty five shows a year? Right, you know what I mean. <laughs> like that's, and you're not getting those royalty checks either. So like when you're off the road, like exactly. you're not you're not working. Like you're not getting a check from ASCAP or BMI every quarter. You know exactly. So I mean, yeah, that's why entrepreneurship is so important, man. It's, it's, I feel you, man. By the way, what are you what are you sipping on there? I like that. I like that. Uh, this is this is I'm, I am flexing right now. I'm gonna be really honest. <laughs> I'm not gonna try to. Hide it, you know, like it, like oh, how did this get here? You don't no. recognize this that is, Tony? Uh, what is it? Yeah, this is uh, Havana Club mm. called Cuban Cuban Smoky. So this is a rum that is technically illegal to have in the United States. Oh, nice, because um, we don't trade with Cuba. And whenever I go overseas, or even in Canada. Whenever I'm out of the country in any capacity on tour, I always try to bring back a bottle of Havana Club and or some Cuban cigars or like two bottles of rum that you usually can't get from Cuba. Now, is it you know, like so actually is, like a lot better or is it just because you can't get it's in the way States? Better. Really? It's really? way better. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. Are, are you Cuban? Yeah. Not at all. No. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Word. Yeah, I gotta try some of that shit out, man. It's dope. Yeah, That's man. Dope. It's it's fantastic. It's like a little it's it's my own little world that I get to take a trip. You know, this Cohiba box right here is actual real Cohiba. Those are the best, I got, man. I got straight from the factory when we went to Havana, actually. Oh hell yeah. So it's hell yeah, I it's there's international touring, and then if you can get into the really fly stuff that you can only get overseas, that's like a real treat to bring back, you know. Have you, uh, what's it like playing in, in Cuba? Did you play there with John Cleary? It was another another band. Yeah, we actually went there uh, with John Cleary. Um, Cuba is is funky, man. It's, a, it's very, very much a third world country. Um, you know, it's a, it's a communist country, so... Everyone is on a very technically uh, strict plan of getting paid by the government for whatever job they do. But there's this whole underground circuit of being involved in the tourism. You know what I mean? Right. So there's like right. there's like certified physicists and brain surgeons in Cuba that also do like tour guide gigs on the side because it makes more money. Jesus, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. Hell so yeah. it's it's a really strange, strange place. But I'm yeah, it's it's as amazing as everybody says it is. Like culturally and just musically, it's absolutely insane. The architecture there and like you, you know, yeah, it's it's nuts. My dad's from Cuba, and I grew, we grew up in South Florida, like in uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. I've always nice. wanted to go and visit. Um, there's definitely a lot of that. Kind of architecture if you go to like coral gables and stuff like that you can kind of see yeah, some of the spanish yeah. style stuff but like i definitely right, want right. to go, i want to get my feet in the ground and really experience what it's like to be there i don't speak spanish anymore yeah. my my dad can help me out with that though no anyways it's, it's it's a it's a fairy tale land man it's absolutely insane like i don't want to be just another white person saying like oh you got to go to cuba like i don't right. be like that but it is like the it's a really, really insane place to visit. Well, it yeah. is. It is interesting, right? Like when you get to go to these places in the like the context of being in a touring band, you do get sure. to, you get to kind of see like this different side of it that most people that are visiting there as a tourist don't get to see. I feel like absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we actually played two shows with some like local Cuban musicians, like some of the heavy hitters down there, and uh, like hanging with them is so much different of a treatment that you would get when people know you're a tourist you know what i mean totally yeah so, it's yeah. cool like, they, they, like people like to kind of fill you in on the culture they want they want to show you what's happening they want to like get sure. you to experience the whole thing and then have a story to tell when you come back type shit you know yeah absolutely it's absolutely. cool it's cool you're just working same as them yeah, yeah straight up yeah for straight sure up. yeah for sure um, cool, man. Well, uh, so I guess what was it like coming up in the Tampa scene and what were your influences and what prompted you going to New Orleans for a while? Um, the, so the Tampa scene, honestly, I, I wasn't really that involved uh, musically that much in the Tampa scene. Like I was playing little duo bar gigs, acoustic style, whatever, whatever. Uh, my senior year of high school, I was doing that every Wednesday and my parents were actually cool enough to let me like miss first period every Thursday my senior year. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> I was out, I was out till like, God, out till like maybe one thirty, two a.m. playing gigs on Wednesdays. But other than that, I wasn't really that active playing around Tampa. Uh, I went to Florida State after high school in Tallahassee. That was two thousand eight to two thousand twelve, and the day after I graduated Florida State, that's when my 
girlfriend and I, who's my wife now, moved to New Orleans. Like I, we, I, I went the day after college graduation and moved into a, to an apartment uptown New Orleans. Oh, that's there, dope. There until 2020, basically. So eight years there. Were you going so, to school for music at Florida State? Yep. Yep. Oh, dumb. Yeah. Yep. That's uh, th- that program is one of the. It's one of the only not one of, not one of the only. It's one of the last truly like swinging programs in the country. Most jazz programs, they kind of give you a crash course in the entire umbrella that is jazz. Like Florida State, they start you with like right before bebop, and then you end at like 1968, and that's kind of it. Hmm. You don't get into the Aaron Parks, the Marcus Gilmore style drumming, none of that. You know what I mean? You learn how to swing for four years and like really read charts and stuff like that. Oh, that makes total sense. That comes through in your playing for sure because oh man, I can like I played in a uh, New Orleans uh, style funk band uh, for about a year, and the mm. <clears throat> the band leaders from you might know him. His name is uh, Rock and Jake. I know he's a harmonica player. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I played with him for about a year, and uh, he was like in, in like pretty big in the New Orleans scene for a while. Then he came to South Florida, and homeboy got on me big time about like just not having like that groove down so yeah when uh i started being in that band and kind of like touring around and then we played new orleans several times and it was like okay i kind of see what's happening here so like i i pay attention to that especially when i'm hearing like the, those those particular grooves so when I, when, I, when I was checking your stuff out and i saw you in the context with john cleary i was like oh shit yeah, this dude's fucking got it bro like hands down <laughs> I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, the yeah the New Orleans swing or whatever you want to call it. it I I have I have my version of it because I wasn't born there. I don't have that birthright thing. Um, but I did do my I did do my due diligence before, during, and after my time in New Orleans. You know what I mean? So it's it's definitely I don't know. It's a it's a it's a way of playing, but it's also a way of just perceiving rhythm i don't want to get too scientific about it but it's a way like you listen to those early meters records and like they just the the weight that that zig puts behind his his drumming you know what i mean like the weight behind each note it's like i I tell people this all the time like those swung eighth notes you have to treat those like 16th notes don't even exist right you know what i mean like there's not there's nothing else higher than that, so you got to put all the emphasis on those on those just eighth notes and quarter notes. You know what I mean? That's such a that's so true, man. Uh, I I love that uh, that way of thinking about it. It really is like that that kind of it's such a deep fat pocket. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it it doesn't like deviate from that. And it's a, it's a, so sure. rare to find somebody that can really groove and just keep that thing going the whole time. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely. I mean, I my playing before I moved to New Orleans kind of leaned that way anyway because I was always I always played pocket, but I was I got into the I got into the modern gospel thing like late in my career, so that whole bag is still something that I have to switch on. Like I, it's not in me like that. You know what I mean? The modern gospel thing. Like I have to really be in that kind of musical situation to get into that bag. I don't it I don't just regurgitate it like like I'm speaking a second language, you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you for sure. How'd you get like started in New Orleans after you uh moved from Florida State? 
or from Tallahassee, Basically, I should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's actually a Tallahassee pipeline to New Orleans. A lot of cats <laughs> that went to Florida State ended up moving there. Um, Jameson Ross, who's actually a Jacksonville Jacksonville native. Yep. Uh, Jameson Ross finished his last two years at Florida State when I started my first two years. So I was a junior in college when he moved to New Orleans. So he was in New Orleans for two years before I got there. And uh, a lot of the connections that I made were kind of through him after going there. You know what I mean? And uh, it was that and just just pounding the pavement, man. Just being out in the mix every night, sitting in wherever you can, treating every gig as if it's the biggest gig ever. You know what I mean? Like really being prepared musically and all that stuff. And yeah, it was just, you know, doing the thing. <laughs> what were some uh, like early lessons that you learned early on? Uh, that kind of stuck with you, either good or bad, like scenarios that you encountered that you like made yourself look like a complete asshole, or where you yeah, yeah. where you did the work and you shined, whatever it was, you know. I mean, there there were definitely situations where I over prepared, and that can like over like psych you out, yeah. for a hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you get a call to play with somebody that you've really been wanting to play with, and so you really prepare, and you're like psyched for the hit, and you go there, and you're like on this really, like let's get you know let's get it done, man, and then. What you don't realize is they've been doing it for like 15 years and they're kind of just relaxed, you know? Right. So you can kind of end up overplaying and psyching yourself out and like overshooting the gig. You know what I mean? But then there are times where you really prepare. Like my first gig with John Cleary, they called me the day of because the original drummer at the time couldn't make a gig. They called me the day of to make this gig and I had never played with them before, but Jameson had told me about him a couple of times. Um, and I, I, I had been listening to John Cleary since high school, you know? So I showed up on the gig and we played two, like 70 to 75 minute sets full of all his original stuff. And I knew every single tune with all the hits and everything. There you go. Yeah. Like meant to do. There are situations where being psychotically overprepared can really, really help you, you know, but sometimes it can psych you out into like just showing up on 10 and everybody's not there at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, I feel like sometimes over preparation can kind of like lead you to make more mistakes. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like, like warming up for two hours before a gig. Yeah. I have a bad habit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Cause then you show, cause then you show up and you're loose and the first set you're like, man, let's fucking go dude. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's, and the energy of the room might not be there at all, you know? Totally. Yeah. Well, I've encountered scenarios where I over-prepare for something, and then I... Um, like, psych yourself out. Psych myself out. And I yeah. end up, yeah, then I end up, like, freezing up or whatever. Or then I'll end up um, uh, not... Like, because if you're studying a record, right? Like, a lot of the times bands are playing records and then... Or playing tunes, and then they evolve over time. So yeah. if you're studying a record, and then, like, you're learning it note for note like that, and then they, yep. they deviate from that, you're not yep. so open to just kind of going with the flow, and you're more, like, trying yep. to stick to the thing. And that can yep. train wreck there, a scenario, too, you know? Absolutely. And there's definitely an art of, of, of doing that, especially in New Orleans. Like, there's, a, oh, there's yeah. such an art form of, like, the whole maple leaf scene is like there's these funk tunes and like you know them but you have to as time goes by and as you play with a lot of these cats more and more you learn as you're listening to the recordings that they send you you learn what's going to happen and what's definitely not going to happen you know <laughs> right, what I mean right like you learn to just pick those moments out you're like all right we're definitely not playing that part I know we're not playing that. <laughs> yeah you know what I mean yeah. 
It's like, yeah. So there's there's an art form to to making the hang that way, definitely. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, what were some of your like your earlier uh, creative endeavors when you were coming up? Uh, like you know, bands that you were maybe a part of, or you know, uh, any kind of creative project. What, what were some of those first ones for you? I mean, cu- coming up in New Orleans. I mean, it was honestly. It was honestly just making every single type of gig I could. I was always, for like my reputation in New Orleans with a lot of people, I was always the the straight ahead drummer that all the straight ahead cats didn't really know played like funk and gospel. And I was the funk and gospel drummer that a lot of the funk and gospel cats didn't know played straight ahead. You know what I mean? Like I've there's been scenarios where I found myself on tour with different New Orleans musicians and we all have this, a night off in the same town, you know, we'll be in like Switzerland or somewhere. We all have the same night off and uh, we'll go to a jam session and it's a straight ahead jam session. And I get up, I'm playing brushes behind a singer doing whatever. And there's like four guys that I've played a bunch of, bunch of funk gigs with that go like, man, I had no idea you could play that stuff. You know? <laughs> that's so it's, pretty like, cool. It's, yeah. That's, it was more for me being in New Orleans. It was just being really, active in whatever musical situation I found myself in and really digging into that and not just going like, all right, thanks. See you next time. You know, totally. like really totally. digging in musically to whatever was going on at the time. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, are there any genres that you think really kind of are ingrained in you from a young age that, that kind of shine through? Like kind of, you were saying earlier, there's like a second language that just kind of naturally comes out for you. What do you think that yeah, genre yeah. is? It's, it's always been hip hop and funk. It's always been that since I was 13, 15, 14. Like, it's always just been mostly 70s funk with the, with rare exceptions of modern stuff. And, like, high school for me was, let me see, what records what records were out at the time? It was Common B. I love that album. That was album. really big with me in high school. Um, Lupe Fiasco's first two albums. Fuck yeah, bro. You know, like when... This is when G Unit just started to pop. Wait, how old are this you? Is, I'm 32. <laughs> He's already uh, okay, yeah. you're all right. Yeah, yeah. So, Wait, so you're you know, 89? That, yeah, exactly. 89. All right. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. All so day. this this is when this is when like you know Dipset and Diplomats were first starting to Fuck pop. Yeah, bro. So all those all those just Blaze beats, all those like Heat Makers beats, just sounded so huge and massive and hard hitting. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? This is right before the the 08 09. Atlanta trap takeover like hip-hop was in that spot where Jay-Z was huge but you know Atlanta hadn't quite taken over yet you know what I mean totally so that that sound has always been with me as a drummer and then just you know listening to Motown records and Tower Power and Al Green and stuff with my with my dad like that's what I've been doing since I was a little kid you know yeah that's awesome man it's Uh, always been hip-hop and funk pretty much yeah. Straight ahead too, but that came later in college. Like I had a I had a jazz awakening when I was in college. Like I didn't even know what the fuck was happening on a lot of those records. Really, my first year of college, I had no idea there was a form. I had no idea cats were soloing over chord changes. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Billy and still hears jazz that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like everybody's right. soloing at once, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's pretty I much. That's right. That's pretty much it. Couldn't help myself in that one. Sorry, Bill. No, I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah. a jazz cat for sure. But that's because you need the other world. You know, if we're gonna do this and interview everybody, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. 
Uh, we always had this whole thing back and forth because like, I, I didn't go to school or anything either, or I didn't go to school or anything, but like, I kind of raised played. by wolves. Well, <laughs> I was definitely, <laughs> I definitely came up playing with a lot of a lot of the jazz cats that were going to UM and stuff like that. So it was like, yeah, yeah. they kicked my ass. I almost went there, uh, bro. bro. A, like an elite school, man. Like the kids coming out of there were so fucking like just insane. So I, I had to like yeah, yeah. keep up with them and learn some stuff. So I, I'm, I, I don't consider myself a jazz player by any means. However, I, I, for sure enjoy the genre and appreciate. Uh, yeah, yeah. the whole thing. So like Billy and I, Billy's very into like more dance music and that kind of stuff. So him and I go back and forth all the time where like he just hates on jazz and I just hate on four on the floor. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, you're That's like, fantastic. for me, it's like, it never changes. I'm like, it, yeah, it totally does change. And yeah. then jazz is like, it's too many changes. Too many changes, There's yeah. too much shit happening. Yeah, I feel like, yeah. No, I definitely feel, I definitely feel both sides of the spectrum. And I've always been, I've always been that cat who, like, I like, I like to speak about music and honestly keep music compartmentalized because that helps you as a, as a player, and that helps you in conversations like this. You know what I mean? You show up on jazz gigs and you don't want to get into your like funk gospel bag unless it's that time. You know what I mean? But if you're playing behind a female singer, piano, bass, and drums, and she's just calling Sarah Vaughn arrangements and stuff like that, you really. It's not the place for anything but your straight down the line, straight ahead bag. You know what I mean? A hundred. And then the opposite thing, like if 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 I'm playing in a Kojic church or a or a Baptist church with a click track and you know three toms and two floor toms, there's no reason for me to use anything that I've learned about straight ahead music at all. You know what I mean? Right. So it's right. like I like to I like to talk about music that way too. Like. If we're talking the three Miles Davis quintets, sure, let's talk about that all day. If that's not the vibe at all, let's talk about DJ Premier and Griselda and all that stuff. Like I'm, I'm cool with that too. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's good to have that kind of versatility in your in, in your playing, but also like your 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 vocabulary to just to understand yeah, yeah. how like you know what it, what it all means in the time and place. Uh, but speaking of the hip hop stuff, because I I, I kind of. Uh, was really big on that at around the same time, like mid two thousands, and then growing growing up in Miami, like you couldn't help to hear like, like get influenced by like the Pitbull stuff and and Rick Ross sure. and a lot of that stuff that was coming out at the time too. Yeah, I forgot about that. Pitbull was coming up, and then Ross. To, what what when was? Damn, that's right. That's oh five, oh four, oh five. Yeah, you're right because that's when Ross was blowing up, blowing up. I've, I totally didn't mention and that. Cool you're and right. Dre and Circle House and that whole scene. Mm -hmm. And it was oh, yeah. uh, it, and growing obviously growing up down there, it was like everybody was like like finally we have somebody coming out of Miami that was like dope and also that w that wasn't just like two live crew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I want to kind of Chris had a very interesting point. Um, and the influence of of funk and New Orleans music on hip hop from from the from the get go, but then also kind of how hip hop has evolved and now had an in influence on modern New Orleans style music, like you know Galactic and how they've kind of been been molding a lot of that stuff into what they're doing. Can you kind of speak to some of that dynamic and how it's they've influenced each other kind of over the over the years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, hip hip hop has always been. Hip hop has always influenced American music and American culture. I, I truly believe hip hop runs the world, man. Like black American culture is under the, hip hop fits under the black American culture umbrella. And I think hip hop is probably the biggest inf influencing thing globally. 
right now and for the last what 20 30 years yeah 100 percent. so you take you take how that's factored in into a lot of new orleans music like i don't know i mean guys like guys like galactic they had i know they had Corey henry for a while not the keyboard player Corey henry trombone player Corey henry from new orleans Told you. Right. Yeah. um he was he was up there <laughs> rapping with him for a while um even just the the sound of the actual hip hop low end yep is a big deal because you find that you find that in the bounce music there and the earliest bounce music records were made on an actual TR808 and the TR808 was the first drum machine that you could extend the decay of the bass drum you know what i mean it was the first and really one of the only drum machines where you could take the kick from boop 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 Boom, 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 oh, okay. boom. Okay. You could actually, it has a decay knob on it. It was the first drum machine of its kind. So that's, to me, that's the crossroads of modern music. That moment when people figured out that you could do that with the bass drum, that's where modern music went like this, went in two <laughs> different directions. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I'll so, get you up to speed with the ADSR, man. <laughs> you said what? I said, I'm talking to Anton. I said, I'll get him up to speed with the ADSR. I'm a synth player, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, has no exactly. Idea what case, same release. Yep. Yeah, the, yep. the 808 bass. You never heard of 808 bass? No, of course I've heard of 808 what bass. What about 909 bass? <laughs> I've heard, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things I've heard of, but when it comes to the technical stuff, that's like beyond yeah, yeah. me. You know, that, that's where, that's where yeah, I got yeah. lost. I love you know? that stuff. So in, in New Orleans, you find that sound mimicked a lot in, in, in second line uh, because... Real second line drumming is two people: a cat holding the bass drum, and with the cymbal on top, and the and a cat holding the snare drum. So you get an actual bass drum with nothing in it, not ported. They're trying to get it to resonate across the street, so they hit it with like a concert mallet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like a marching mallet, and you get that same kind of boom, boom, boom. It's not a, it's not a flat kick drum sound like we like to use on the drum set. It's a really long, big sustaining note. So that definitely. And honestly, if we really want to talk about it, that predates uh, that sound predates electronic music by decades. That's decades. what I was. That's what I was gonna say. You yeah, J- Jack has a question. Actually, what's up, Jack? What's up? <laughs> hey, AJ. Hey. Uh, I'm a fellow drummer too. Um, that's okay. It's his first. It's it's his first radio. <laughs> yeah, it's his first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Um, so I know you you do all the breakbeat uh, type stuff and yeah. you know that, that's kind of your bag right now um, and you know really really digging what you're doing. Thanks, How man. do you feel that like coming from that FSU tradition of playing the swing and getting that sound in your ear, um, especially approaching like how uh, Black American music, especially the jazz type stuff has influenced the sound of hip hop uh, from a drummer's perspective. Cause like you just said, um, being a drummer, I've done the, the uh, second line type stuff. And yeah, it's, it's totally the, the long bass drum sort of thing because that's the way yeah. it is in New Orleans traditionally. Um, sure, sure. What other kind of things do you see carrying into uh, like modern day hip hop from that perspective? Yeah, I mean, honestly, modern day hip hop is in a weird place because the underground sustains itself. Like, there's a whole, there's a whole scene that that has no radio play, no, for the most part, no major labels behind it, uh, and just isn't on anybody's radar unless you're in the know, quote unquote. Right. Uh, so that sound is still very much based on sampling old records 
old break beats from the 60s and 70s, you know. They it there's a lot of different names for it, but they they call it golden era. I don't really like that name because it just draws a parallel to the 90s. Um yeah, so the underground kind of sustains itself and then you have the mainstream which is still 100% 808 dominant, you know what I mean? Just dominated by 808 drum sounds. So I think that you know, old school jazz and funk records being sampled you still get it on the mainstream sometimes but for the most part the uh that old school essence of hip-hop where it comes from the lineage of the whole funk thing that has really moved to the underground where it's become its own sustaining little ecosystem you know do you think it will like ever hip-hop. come back in the the kind of circular thing of eras regenerating within modern I th- music? I think it will. I think I think Griselda's pushing it to the about this about as high as it can go, honestly. You know, I don't really see quote unquote boom bap making a mainstream comeback, but I do see more and more people who don't know about it coming back down to the underground and saying, oh, there's all this shit here. I don't, I'm good. I don't need to, I don't need to turn on the radio and wait for the one, for the, for the one song out of 10. That's not, you know what I mean? It's also, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Well, it's, 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 it's a unique thing with hip hop being such a, you know, the grand scheme of things, like a new genre. You know what I mean? We actually haven't seen a full cycle of, of how it acts just yet. You know what I mean? Like we've kind of seen it with other genres with rock and roll and with blues and, and with jazz and funk where it's kind of made, you know, it's kind of had its heyday and then it kind of goes away and then kind of resurfaces in different forms. Like hip hop is so new that as far as, you know, it's stake in the mainstream that we haven't really seen like, like what a cycle actually looks like yet. So it's really hard to predict, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's because both mainstream and underground, completely sustains itself mainstream hip-hop yeah. is one of the biggest yeah. things in the in the world honestly bigger than rock is right now mm-hmm. you know for the last couple of years um and the underground the underground too it's 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 its own the internet gave it power to survive on its own you know totally uh without seeking radio play at all um that's all that's such a true statement too where it's like like the way that things get reintegrated or resurface um, in the mainstream looks different now because the gatekeepers aren't really as uh, relevant as they were 30 years ago, right? Like, you- Yeah, not at all. Right, right. There's, uh, there's an artist named Russ who has m- multi-platinum records. Mm-hmm. Like multi-platinum and multi of the, you know, different records that are multi-platinum. Right. You know? And zero radio play. None. Like no labels, Nothing. Dude is completely independent, very financially well off, and like sells out stadiums and like the Hollywood Bowl and shit. Damn, that's a dream, man. That's a dream. Yeah, so the internet has really given the power to anybody who really wants to get anything off the ground if you want it bad enough and you make enough dope shit, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, all right, well, um, I do want to dive more into this stuff at some point, and we, I want to get into like a bunch of other stuff that you're doing, but before we do that, I want to get into the bottom of the billboard segment. Mm-hmm. So um, if you're not familiar or for those who aren't familiar, we do a segment every week called Bottom of the Billboard where we, we yeah, review yeah. a song that one of us chooses. Um, if you know anything about our uh, Billy and I's dynamic, 
we typically can't stand uh, the genres that each other listen to. So, <laughs> but recently um, it's been pretty good. I think recently, we're like, but like four for four, been some overlap. It's been yeah, yeah. Been quite a bit of overlap actually recently, which is surprising. I think I think this is going to be some overlap too. That's what I'm assuming, anyways. I, I, I listened to I listened to this one today before we started. Actually, hell yeah. yeah. Uh, so this week we'd have um, uh, Billy's song, "The New Deal," "Deep Sun." Yeah, "Deep Sun" by the New Deal. Do you know uh, the New Deal? Yeah, yeah, I, I see their I see their name on festival bills all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyways, uh, I guess uh, this is. I think this might be the, like their best song and every uh, from from like back in their heyday. Uh, they they broke up in like 2012 and they got back together with a new drummer and it's just it's not the same. It's just like just, yeah. it's not at all. But the, this is their original drummer and like you can just tell. Like obviously they're going really heavy with the uh, electronica. Uh, a vibe but really it's uh it's just three people like that's there's yeah no, it sounds live the, yeah, it, the song sounded sounded live it's actually pretty impressive that it is live yeah uh it's and obviously there's a lot of studio work and everything that they did with it and yeah. in production but like if you see them live it's just in, absolutely incredible that keyboardist jamie shields he's my favorite like of all time that's why i got bottom oak prodigy because he got one and yeah. uh, i just absolutely uh love this song um the, the track itself, like uh, the studio track itself, I've always thought was just like their best hit. Um, and I love the uh, way that they move uh, in an electronic um, theme because a lot yeah, of it's time, hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to make it like really fresh and it, like the, yeah. the whole song keeps on evolving and changing. I love how they, they hint at the theme so many times and then they have a big ending at the end. It's a seven and a half minute <laughs> bang. Yeah, yeah. And most electronic songs are like maybe three. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, not, there's not a lot going on. You know what I mean? That's like, hey, this is supposed to be for a DJ set. And then, you know. Here's here's the hook, and then go on to the next, or make whatever you want to out of it. But you can't right, really exactly. do that with this song. So um, <laughs> I love it. Uh, the New Deal is my favorite. Jamie Shields, wherever you are, I love you. Yeah, come on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'd be so. He probably would. Go. He's Canadian. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually really enjoyed this song too. Yeah. Um, much more from the, from the production standpoint than anything else. Like if I was going to say that if, if this is something I'm going to ride out to on the, on the daily, probably not. But as far as um, I really like some of the choices that were made on the production side, I like how there's like certain textures that are kind of like panning, like almost the, like where you want them to, but like not quite. And it kind of leaves you like hang on the edge of your seat. And then you have like other textures that are just giving you exactly what you want, like kind of shifting yeah. from left to right and just where everything's kind of sitting in the mix. Uh, and like you said, like everything's kind of like evolving over time. Uh, even the way the drumming uh, patterns kind of That's what I was going to say. I, I'm not a drummer at all, but I, I feel like the, the drums, like it just, it feels so much better as like an organic, uh, electronic drum set i know organic electronic makes no sense but like it's, it's organic drums no for sure. it does it does but, actually but like it he, all, all they're doing is you know not i'm sorry not all they're doing but it's four on the floor for the most part and but yeah it just sounds with all the breaks and stuff that they have in it it, it makes the the song in my opinion it makes a big difference yeah, too when, when they're like shifting where the hi-hat is on the on the groove too you know and they're like and then there's, uh -huh. there's even a time where the 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 uh the, the kick drum uh shifts to like the and you know what mm -hmm. i mean and then goes back to the one Easily so great. yeah so it's like there's just there's like little nuanced things that i thought were really cool and obviously like the sounds and the textures that they're using are really uh interesting and the way the song yeah obviously it was like a great listen and a great study for somebody who's, who doesn't come from that world 
um, but has obviously done like a lot of studio work. Like you, you listen to it from that perspective and you're like, okay, this is really cool what's happening here. So I, yeah, I dig yeah. it, you know? They got it on both ends because like obviously that song is great, but like you have to see them live because that's, it's just incredible because there's, there's no samples, there's no laptops or metronomes or anything like that. And it's that, that keyboard is, <laughs> he's like, I don't know. I think he gets craned down into it because there's, it's just a giant circle <laughs> and there's no way that, that he can do it, but it's just a keyboardist, bassist and drummer, nothing. Oh yeah, that's and right. And it's just yeah. three guys and it's just, it's out of this world amazing. So that's heavy. Love man. it. What, uh, what'd you think, AJ? You think AJ? No, it's dope. I actually now that I'm actually, I think I actually might have opened up for them with a with a friend of mine. Do you do you know this cat Russ Liquid? Yeah, oh, yeah. you know him. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've I've done a couple of gigs with him. When whenever you know whenever he whenever he calls and wants a drummer, uh, I've done a couple of gigs with him. We actually opened up for the New Deal. Now awesome. that I'm remembering it. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, do you know that song once again doing that kind of seven minute musical journey without there being technically a melody or technically like a head or a chorus or anything like that. It's pretty dope. You know what I mean? That's kind of a feat of, of modern music making to be able to take the listener on a journey like that without it being uh, stagnant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Cause that's, that's what it is. Like live is like they, all they do is just jam constantly and they do have that hook, yeah, yeah. hook at the very end. I mean, it's just three chords or whatever. And then the hook at the, at the end uh, on the Moog prodigy, but I can just imagine, like, yeah, this is awesome. We play it live. Now we actually have to like sit down and write this song in a studio. It's like, oh damn, we got to figure this out now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. and then they're like walked away. They're like, shit, this is almost eight minutes long, guys. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're gonna put it out. I'm like, all right, we're gonna put it out. It works, yeah, so, yeah. you know. There's like this one thing that they were doing. They kind of do it at the beginning, and then it kind of appears throughout the song that I like. But it's kind of speaking to that that uh, that choice to. Choice. There's like it's like an arpeggiated kind of thing. And it's kind of like with like a lot of delay on it. And then it's coming from the right side. And then it kind of like it's moving and it kind of hangs like like just off center from like the right to the center. And you're wanting it to move totally to the left. And it just never gives it to you. Yeah. And I you're didn't just even like, notice that. It's, dope. it's like, bro, that's so fucking good, man. Like yeah. little, little shit like killing. that that I really like. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, yeah anyways. In uh, in my book, I'd say it makes it onto the playlist. Makes it on the playlist. What do you think, AJ? You think it makes yeah. it on our playlist? Yeah, I think so. Playlist. Hell yeah. Dope. All right. Well, uh, that was probably the shortest one we've done of those because we always <laughs> agreed with it. Yeah, because <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah. How can you not? And if you go to their shows, I swear to God, you're just like just dancing around the entire time because they never stop. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of hard to frown to listen to that song. Although I did watch you listen to it. That song gets me pumped. I was just like so excited. I listened to it like three times a day. Yeah. But I watched you listen to it and you're just like, yeah, <laughs> 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 not moving or dancing. Hey, like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know that's their own. that's like one of those things, man. Where it's like you know, I don't know, AJ, are you, are you much of a dancer? Sometimes when it's the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my girlfriend's like really into dancing. She was a B girl like in her younger years and stuff. And um, uh, so she always gets like annoyed when I don't dance or like other people. I find. The most that like the most when I go to a show and I'm not dancing, it really annoys other people when I'm not dancing for some reason. For some but I feel you. The way that I listen to music is to really just kind of 
listen to what's happening like on the inner like on a live setting like how the how the band is interacting you know what i mean and then on a studio setting i really pay attention to like the subtleties of the production more than anything so i'm not like bopping my head i'm not like you know jamming unless it's something that i know from like high school then i'll get down like you can't, that you can't do that at the same time no i can't you can't chew gum and walk <laughs> yeah. down the street at the no, same I'm time ter- i also don't look like i'm having any fun while i'm playing because i can't multitask yeah <laughs> sometimes um, when i play i'll do the uh, like mouth wide yeah, open and everything like that. And it's only because I'm concentrating real hard. And yeah. so I kind of right. get that. But yeah, I'm dancing all the time. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I'm not into it. It's not fun for dance, me. I'll dance to nothing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, AJ, you're doing uh, like these kind of drum packages and like these uh, like beat packages that you're doing like on your website. Uh, can you kind of speak yeah. to a little bit as to what that is and how you got involved with all that? Yeah, so uh, I make drum breaks. They are... It's me playing drums, and then I... It's 10 mics that I have on the kit. Different... I have, like, four different kits, about 10 different snare drums and a bunch of cymbals. Uh, I mic them up with 10 different mics that I interchange out, and I run that all and mix that all down to tape, and then I put that out in uh, WAV files for producers to use in their productions. They're mostly geared towards, like, just being old-school grimy hip hop style breaks um, modeled after like the late 60s early 70s type of stuff trying to think of like the easiest one like the funky drummer by James Brown yeah you know what I mean that kind of stuff and uh, that's kind of what I've been doing aside from touring with John Cleary that's kind of what I've been what I've been doing for the last like two and a half years um, just making drum break sample packs for hip hop producers you know what's the um, the market for that it's it's pretty good because I'm one of the only drummers who I'm one of the only drummers who understands that language of that old school 70s language and knows how to mix the stuff after it's played. Yeah. A lot of cats who know how to play the stuff but they don't know anything about drum recording or drum mixing. There's a lot of cats who know how to mix the stuff but they have to hire a drummer to play all the stuff so there's a there's a disconnect, you know, where it's where me I drop one pack a month and it's all me. So if anybody ever comes to me and wants drum breaks uh, exclusively, I can get it done that day. I don't need to book studio time. I don't need to hire a drummer. I don't need to hire somebody to mix the stuff. It's all it all comes through me. You know. Uh, so. and you're you're selling just breaks, or you're also uh, selling like uh, voices too. Sometimes I'll do melodies and stuff like that. Just little things that sound like they're sampled from records, you know what I mean? Just melodic sections. Sometimes I'll do that, but for the most part, it's drums. It's well, no, drum, sorry. I guess one I, shots. I, oh, sorry, go I ahead. I guess I said the wrong thing. I meant, like, like you, do you have, like, you know, in that pack, like, ten different uh, snare hits, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I, I do separate packs of one shots. That's, that's Oh, one shots, okay, sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking I voices. I do separate packs yeah. of, like, all kick, snare, hi-hat, Tom and crash hits, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's all organic, or do you do yep. you? Okay, cool. Yep, it's all from all from the drums that I have in here, all mic'd up back there, mixed with different plugins and through the tape right there. So where do you where do you get uh where do you like sell all this stuff at? You know what I mean? It's on my website called Left Field Drum Breaks. Ah, sorry, Left Field Drum Breaks dot com. Um, I got that got that name from just being left handed. And they say left-handed people are left-brained. So if you're doing the saying for doing something out of nowhere is you're coming out of left field. So I just called it that, leftfielddrumbreaks.com. Um, there's about 
about 29 sample packs up there so far. Nice. And uh, I don't really plan on stopping. So there you go. <laughs> hey, AJ, Jack again. Uh, yeah. Love your YouTube channel and how you do all the breakdowns on there, being a drummer and home studio audio, audio engineer okay. and all that. Yeah, man. Um, love the Zulu, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. yeah. So what made you feel like you wanted to give back in revealing to people how you were making these breaks? Because I mean, to me, from a drummer's perspective and an audio engineer perspective, you really found a great niche uh, in the, the market for that stuff. But not only that, because it feels like a lot of people are releasing sample packs and you know drum stuff and all that you do it so authentically and so just well um in, in a very usable way to not just you know people that are trying to capture the vibe that you are coming from but yeah. usable in a modern way uh too i mean what was the incentive behind you giving these kind of breakdowns releasing this you know the the secret so to speak to everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. who's hip to it so i mean the you know the the first part of that that i'll address is like for every like gem that i drop about mixing drum breaks about mixing my drum breaks there's 37 of them that i'm not dropping you know what i mean i can i can do a 10 minute video on mixing one of my drum breaks and it's still not even close to revealing everything that I'm really doing, you know what I mean? Because a lot of it starts with a lot of it starts with how I physically play the drums, because that's one of the benefits of me playing them and mixing them is I know how I'm gonna mix them when I start playing. So I kind of play to that, you know what I mean? There isn't that disconnect where there's a drummer and then a mixing engineer, and the mixing engineer has to decode the information that's coming to him, you know what I mean? Um, other than that, I mean just it's all it's all content. Content is the name of the game, and uh, I've never heard a single person tell me that I post too much. You know, <laughs> like there is it's it's 2022, and everybody's everybody's sitting there scrolling all day. You know what I mean? We're all right here all day, all day, all day, all day. hundred percent. So if I post about something 15 times. Maybe the ninth time somebody will message me and say, hey, what, what's that thing that you were talking? You know what I mean? So it's like the the amount of content that you can put out there as somebody who has an endeavor or has like a product or has a song or if you're an artist or whatever, whatever you're doing, the amount of times you post about it could be like you cannot post too much about it. It's physically impossible. Yeah. You know, so I'm always I'm always trying to think of different ways that I can just show people kind of what's going on under the hood. Um, it started out, those those breakdown videos that I do on my Instagram and YouTube about the breaks, it started out as just I wanted people who had never heard of me to have the assurance when they buy a sample pack from me that I know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I wanted that assurance. Like if, if somebody who doesn't play drums knows nothing about drum mixing, therefore wants one of my drum break packs, I want them to see me competently giving them what they're paying for. You know what I mean? So that that's the way it started out. And then later on, it became this thing where other drummers were watching it and asking me for tips and stuff like that. So it kind of blossomed into this whole 
thing that people who know nothing about drum mixing and want to know nothing about drum mixing watch and people who really want to know about drum mixing also watch you know that's very cool that's that's a really kind of the name of the game when it comes to putting out content right now is like finding out like what your strength is and like the perspective that you can kind of give to the world that that that, you know the musicians or you know the engineers or like in my case i'm like super into like the business side of things i I like to understand how the you know the markets work and tracking you know ticket sales and i I like that side of it so like trying to figure out like how you can put yourself out there as an artist but also like like inform people on how like the sausage is made kind of thing you know what i mean yeah absolutely absolutely that's yeah. why I was trying to, yeah. my, my idea that you turned down, synth, synth time with Bill. Uh, I didn't try it down. I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. You said that was awful. No, well, yeah, I was trying to probably piss you off, but <laughs> because, I, that's a because, good idea. Because uh, <laughs> I've, seen on, I've seen on TikTok and uh, uh, Instagram and everything like that, there are uh, like, you know, maybe like three or four cats that are like showing you what they're doing, but most of the time they're just going real fast and showing off to be cool or yeah. they... Or it's just like a screen of like Fruity Loops or something like that. And it's just like, okay, so this is what you do. And then I was just like, it's just boring. Yeah, I think yeah, I'd make yeah. it fun. Yeah. It's coming soon. Yeah, yeah. Synth time with Bill. Synth time with Bill. Look out for it, kids. Yeah, man, do it. Do it. And post, post 30 of them shits before you pay any attention to what the views are. Uh, what, oh, I mean, man, that's yeah. so true. Yeah, those yeah. fucking the view counts. That's that's the real killer right there. Is just every day like posting shit. And you look at the views. And you're I like, don't even Fuck look at my them. life, bro. I don't even. I don't <laughs> even look at them. I made twelve TikToks yesterday. I have no idea what any of them are doing. Really? You don't feel? I don't, you, I don't look at them. You don't feel the need to engage if people are commenting on your stuff or anything. Oh, like I that. reply to comments, but I'm saying I don't. I don't pay attention to what the views are getting. Yeah, I feel you. you I know? feel you. Yeah. I, oh, I, I reply to every comment. Yeah, but um, you, yeah. The was, whole metric of like views, you got to just power through that. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's that's the killer right there. I was gonna ask you. Uh, so when it comes down to people uh, purchasing your breakbeat, I'm um, sorry, not breakbeat. The 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 packages. Sorry. How yeah, does that yeah. work for like ro- royalties and stuff for like if they can use it in their music? Yeah, I only seek out publishing on like major label shit, uh, major label or like sync stuff. If it's gonna go into commercial, yeah. Uh, f- again, for a big company, you know, I'm not gonna. If you have like a startup and you <laughs> you have like an ad budget of like five hundred dollars for two months, I'm not gonna attach myself to that. But I'm saying if it's if you if you buy one of my drum break packs and you make a fifteen second beat for like cornflakes, then yeah, we we need to talk some numbers. <laughs> um, or or like bigger indie placements like uh. My dude Russ, the artist that I mentioned before, uh, I only seek out publishing in those instances, um, and it's it's small number of publishing for what a drum break should be. I'm not I'm not gonna go after fifty percent of your song like some cats who do the melodic samples do. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's all handled. It's all handled by my manager and stuff like that. And n- nine times out of ten, when I do get a major label placement, the label will just email me and say, "Hey, we need to clear this." what do you need and I'll tell them well what did you have in mind and then they <laughs> and then they come back with it and I say all right cool sign it we're good you know interesting yeah i'm i'm not i'm not predatory with like royalties or publishing or anything like that i've even had some cats ask me like if i make a beat with this with one of your drum breaks and i sell the beat to somebody do you get a cut of the sale i'm like dude fuck no why would I? that's <laughs> That's a horrible practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have I have no yeah, idea, so, so I was just wondering how it yeah, yeah. how it goes down. The public the publishing thing is 
most of the bigger producers who have my stuff, they already know. Just hit me up when something lands, and we'll work it out. But other than that, there's a gang of underground hip hop shit that I'm on. That you know, that's that's the homie. You guys are good. Yeah, and it's know. just cool that like your music is helping them out. I just I love yeah, that yeah, idea. and it's you know, it, to seek out publishing on on a recording and royalties. You want to make sure you're doing it on a recording that's actually going to do some damage. You know what I mean? I'm not about to seek out eight to ten percent publishing of a song that's going to do fifty five hundred streams. Like it, there's, <laughs> there's no need to bring paperwork into that equation. Right. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, I'm curious as to how you kind of uh, take yourself out of the the workspace of like obviously playing your instrument and then getting into the studio mindset is a completely different kind of world. Like when you're on the production side, when you're mixing stuff down or when you're working on like, you know, different sounds and stuff, like how do you remove yourself from what you've done as a drummer and then put yourself into, into producer mode? Oh, that's a good question. Um, sometimes I, I have to be in it for a while. I have to be in like a flow state. Some, there's some weeks where I'm, there's some weeks where, I, like this week, I have to leave on Thursday to go to Colorado with Cleary. So the rest of the week after that, when I come back from Colorado, it might be a little hard to get back on the horse in here making drum breaks and producing and whatever, whatever. So I usually have to be in like a flow state with it. I usually have to be doing it for a couple of days to really get into a settled vibe. Um, but when I'm forced to take myself out of the production vibe, and get into live music world, um, just listening to music that sort of pertains to that world. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I never listen to, I never listen to like Miles Davis or John Coltrane and think like, Ooh, how can I make a beat out of this? (laughs) I'm listening to it as a, as a musician who plays that stuff and like just appreciates it. Totally. Totally. That's, that's kind of, that's kind of my best answer for it is just like, take yourself there musically first before the situation comes up. Right. Right. And do you, um, do you like, uh, record like, like, let's say you're like, you're working on some of your package stuff. Like, do you record your drums ahead of time and like, like spend a day doing that and then spend like another day on the production side or are you kind of doing it simultaneously? Oh, it's always, it's always back and forth. It's at the kit, play it like at the kit, press record, play it, come over here, mix it, print it, put it in the folder back to the kit record play it over here mix it put it in a folder that's yeah. the part that's it's, that's so wild to me because like that's why i have the hardest time like sitting down like recording shit because like i don't like pushing buttons and shit i have like the ideas but yeah. i don't like pushing buttons because it takes me out of the creative yeah. space if i'm like sitting sure. there trying to play something on guitar and nail something mm-hmm. and then i gotta like take myself out of that to go sit and like you know figure out you know just start like you know hitting keys and sure. trying you know what i mean yeah, templates is what saves me with that. I have, right. I have my templates there with all 10 mics set up, labeled, with all the plugins I usually use on each channel, and then the master channel has all the stuff that I usually use. You know, It's all set up in here. My mics, if you can see, my mics stay plugged in. Like All the cables run behind the curtain, under these rugs, along the walls. Like I never, I never have to run cables, ever. <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah, so it just makes a really easy workflow for you. Yeah, exactly. And the and the overheads are mounted to the ceiling. Oh, so wow. I, I ne- I'm never moving mic stands around. To, That's to, awesome. Know. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. 
Um, all right, well, I got a couple other things. I just like some more fun stuff on, on yeah, from yeah. the music, musician perspective. We're fun, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, any uh, red flags yeah. you look for when you're deciding to work with an artist on the production side or even, like, you know, go on the road? Is there any kind of things that stand out yeah, to yeah. you? Uh, so, two, yeah, two completely separate areas. Yeah. Um, when a producer hits me up and asks for some drum breaks, and just says, yo, send some drum breaks, and that's it. You know, at least do me the courtesy of saying, yo, I heard your breaks on this recording. I love them. I'd love to use some with this artist I'm working with. If you have anything you can send, that'd be great. That's awesome. You know what I mean? But, yo, send some breaks? No. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> what uh, um, What do you think arises from working with with people like that? Do you, Do you have you like encountered those scenarios where you've sent them stuff and then you're like, oh, this is why I don't want to work with these people because this is usually what happens. Um, it's it's usually just because they're not. It, usually, the biggest outcome of that is they're not willing to work with you on the back end if there's a major label placement. Or you definitely should get a little bit of publishing and credit. Um, I've I've had other situations where producers have hit me up and they've they've said like, "Yo, I love these breaks. Can I get you to do some of these type of breaks?" And then I say, "Yeah, cool. It'll, it'll be this price, and I'll send them to you. Uh, I'll be done by t- tonight or tomorrow." And then they go into the then they go into the part of the conversation where it's like, "Okay, so uh, you're not going to want any publishing on these because technically I'm telling you." what kind of drums to be played and it's like well no because if if you could do it you wouldn't be talking to me right if it was all if this was all your creative process we wouldn't be having this conversation you know right Um, right it's you know i don't want to sound like i'm constantly going after publishing but there have been a couple of instances where um just drums being being a part of the copyright on a song that's not a very common concept unless you sample a James Brown record or something like that. Um, the drums themselves being counted as a composition technically doesn't exist in copyright law right now. So there's a lot of producers who are really cut and dry about it. Like, no, absolutely not. Drums will never count. And there's a lot of them that I work with that are great about it. They know exactly what's going on and I never have to like specify up front they always hit me up with the paperwork on the back end and it's totally cool yeah there's but producers that are immediately and this goes for anybody in life people that immediately hit you up for the thing that you're good at and say yo let's do this now no 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 yo yo send it to me or yo let's do this right now it's usually not the person you want to work with because they're looking to get that out of you and then never speak to you again. <laughs> you right, know what I mean? right. Yeah, there's no relationship <laughs> building, or like, there's no. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel you. And so the the second part with the working with musicians or like touring and stuff like that, um, the prima donna thing is big. Like you can sense it up front pretty often, um, and there's usually a vibe there, and it's usually not good. And you, I've learned to kind of trust my gut on those on those situations and it's worked out for the better because john cleary's a great guy great dude to hang out with uh funny as all hell like ridiculously funny cat and just good company to keep you know what i mean so it's there's no ego involved with really anybody on that gig it's, it's totally chill so that's awesome it's awesome. it's definitely worked out 
What do you think, uh, like, as far as the prima donna stuff, like, when you encountered that, like, like what are some of the, the things that, that you kind of see up front? Like, if they, like, you know, when you're working out details, when you're emailing back and forth before you commit, like, what are some of the things that you're looking at where, like, this isn't going to work? Um, there's been, there's been gigs where, <laughs> there's been gigs where they've asked me to play and I don't ask what the rate is because I'm, I assume that it's pretty good, you know? And then later on, they'll, the management will ask me like, okay, so what, what were you thinking to what, what's your usual rate? You know? And I tell them and then they go, Oh, well that's a little high. It's like, well, okay. If, if you had a number, then why didn't you tell me first? Right <laughs> now I'm the asshole. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like now I'm the asshole because I said something up front when you had a number in mind in the first place, you could have just told me, you know, totally. There's, there's been situations like that where it's, where it's just like, all right, we, we don't, we don't need to play this cat and mouse game. Just tell me, what it usually is and if i'm cool with that then that's great we're good you know that's the thing that <laughs> drives me crazy about about stuff like at that level because when you're dealing with people like when you're dealing with entities mm-hmm. right like business entities like yeah, yeah. and bands included like you know, you know that they that there's a budget for something right like right they right. have a cap for sure so like they're what's trying that to- what's that meme where where it's the two cowboys with their hand on the trigger right here about to pull the the revolver out and one says, what's your budget? And the other says, what's that's your rate? Spider-Man thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where they're both about to shoot off. And, yeah. and it says, what's your budget? What's your rate? What's your budget? What's your rate? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's like, so man, true. Come it's, on. It's like when well, you're talking to like a musician, it's just like, yeah. it's like if you have a number that you know you can't go, obviously they, they want to try and get you for less than what their budget is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. But at the same time, it's like, if you know that you can't go above a certain point and you know that that number is probably below industry standard, you might as well yeah. come up, come out with that up front, up front. You know, sometimes yeah, yeah. Like, musicians are a weird breed. Like if we really like the music, and we like the people we'll, we'll like really negotiate our prices just because yeah, we want to do the, something. And that's the weird part that people don't even give you the dignity of having that, that part of the conversation. Like, yo, I actually dig this gig. I'll do it for whatever you got. But if you ask me what I need up front, like, don't make me look like the asshole because you had a number in the first place, you know? Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's, I can definitely feel that. Um, what about some pet peeves when you're on the road or working with producers? Um, oof, pet peeves is not, on the road, pet peeves is definitely not reading the room. Yeah. Like, there's, <laughs> like, there's, uh, honestly, I've never had this issue with anybody in the John Cleary band. Everybody's really good at judging the dynamics of the situation, but you do have it with like promoters and sound guys and just people that you work with at these places and festivals and stuff like that. You have people who like you show up and you're all disheveled because of a 4 a.m. lobby call or whatever. And you flew two hours that day or whatever the situation is, you're tired. Right. Um, And you have sound guys that are like really just on level 10 and trying to hang out and do the jokey joke thing. And they could have figured out that it's not the time to do that if they would have took the 30 seconds to like pan around the room and just see what the vibe is, you know. Totally. Um, Other than that, I mean, uh, sound guys that have like their preferred sound, you know. Cornell, the bass player in the band, likes a really hi-fi bass sound. He likes the tweeter to work in the cab and really get like a Marcus Miller kind of vibe. 
Um, and when he starts getting that, sometimes sound guys will be like, whoa, hey, we got a slapper over here. You know what oh, I mean? Boy. <laughs> like, dude, don't, please stop. It. Like, this is not, this is, like, I get it. You don't like that kind of bass playing, but this, like, we're here at the venue, so it's over, you know. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, sound guys do dad jokes. That's definitely yeah, a and it's, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, well, we, I mean, the dad jokes are fine. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> If they're funny, they're funny. But you get guys that are, you know, it's like, all right, I can tell you did, you did a couple too many tours with White Snake, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> that's adorable. We uh, we did a uh, a festival a few weeks back, and uh, or maybe like a few months back now, and we showed yeah. up, and the back line was like was dog shit, and yeah, yeah. the uh, the setup uh, was like a small like tent. It, we was we was a blaring somewhere. I think we had like a, like a four p.m. Uh, set time or whatever and we yeah. were just like just i mean the sun's just beating down us and billy yeah, is yeah. is a um ginger. an incredible ginger yeah. to the point where he has to wear sunscreen while he's driving the van oh gotcha yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so none of that information was and then and then on top of that uh the the uh the people didn't send me any point of contact for uh you know sound or any production till like the night before the gig so, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we, a that's a very real thing. Yep. We sh- we show up to the gig and the first thing out of the sound guy's mouth is basically like, "So who who didn't send me a a, a stage plot and, and didn't put this until midnight last night?" And I was like, and I just like immediately fired back and I was like, "Who didn't send me any point of contact till midnight, motherfucker?" Till midnight last <laughs> you know night. Yeah, I mean? yeah. It's like that's the kind of shit where it's like if we show up and like we're looking at a scenario, we we don't look like we're stoked about something. Maybe don't yeah, hit us with the smart ass remarks right off. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. You know? It's and that all fits under the umbrella of read the room. Right, like, exactly. You just gotta read the room, man. Yeah. There was a there, there was a gig I had in I can't, I can't remember. There was a gig. Sound guy was really not happy that day. Which whatever he was going through, fine. That's on him. I'm not. People have their shit they go through. But there was one particular remark. I didn't have my symbols on that on that run because all the venues had backline, so I took, but I brought a, a splash in my bag because backline in one of those you're never gonna get the one you want. So I brought it in my bag, and they had four symbol stands, and I needed one more. Right? <laughs> I asked I asked the sound guy, and I was like, "Do you guys have one more symbol stand?" I said it like that. I didn't I didn't say. You guys have one more symbol stand. Like, please, could I get an? You know, I said, uh, do, you, "Do you guys have one more symbol stand?" And uh, he goes, "No, I have four symbols. I have four symbol stands." I was like, <laughs> oh Yo. my god! Ow! Yeah, and it was immediately like, I had to pause and not engage because I'm like, "All right, this dude's having a really bad day." There's nothing good that's gonna come out of even even engaging in that. You know? Especially at the end of the night, it's like he has a last say in what people hear out there. So, yeah, so you it's know. you know at the end it, of the day, they have too much power, it. man. I've been yeah. we've been trying to advocate a full out war against musicians and sound people, yeah. like because yeah, yeah. they they've had their day, they've had it too good it's for a, like a century but now. It's, but it's a slippery slope, man. It's a slippery slope. You got to play by the rules to some extent. It's hard. I'm just kidding. I think it's you funny that totally. <laughs> to piss yeah, off yeah. our crew in the back. Yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard. It's like going to a restaurant and complaining about the food too much. Exactly. Like, right, don't spend you, it. you can do that. Yeah. You know, you can do that, but it's risky. <laughs> Maybe we should start like a, a like a Yelp review type situation. A for Yelp sound review guys. a sound guy? Oh my God. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
what would be dope if there was two different threads? If there was a sound guy review for different bands and a and a band yes. review for different sound guys. I mean, that would be killing. Because then you I'm actually get both sides that. of the story. They used to do it. that on uh, uh, Indie on the Move. That's this old website. Oh, yeah, I don't right. know if you remember that one. Indie on the Go. Indie, I think it's on the Move, but uh, well, or whatever. It doesn't matter. The whole point. independent band touring site. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, it, like the, vi- the venue, it would have like who to contact, everything like that, and then like what the oh, wow. rating of the of the place, and and like a lot of them would be like that fucking sound guy though. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah. lord, it's so true. Or just man. like all the horror stories from it. I gotta, I'm gonna check that website out later. Now it's been like ten years since I've been. I don't think there. they're still up anymore. No, yeah. well, of course not. And it's a hard job. I I will give him that. It's very grueling yeah, of work. Course. If it's just you, if there's just one guy at a bigger spot, and the band has like 16 inputs to run, I I get it. But you know, so is <laughs> so is being a touring musician. So like, let, that's all we're, a, all we're saying. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody everybody has their line of work that presents difficulties. Yeah, we're on the same team. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um. So I I also I, I'm I also curious about. The work that you're doing with John Cleary, um, are you guys, is it like a collaborative writing process or is it mostly just him writing tunes and bringing it to you guys? Uh, there's, whenever a band leader brings a tune to a band, there's always, even if he has the parts worked out, there's always going to be some say in what actually happens on stage, you know? Because we're, you know, no matter how direct the drum part is, no matter how direct the bass part is, there's going to be some interpretation by whoever's playing it. Um, for the most part, it's John, because uh, John is such a genius songwriter and lyricist and, like, wordsmith. Uh, he's really got it down to a science, and he involves us in it when we're in the studio cutting it, when he hasn't flushed the whole thing out. But for the most part, he's got the whole thing flushed out and knows exactly sort of the vibe he wants. And then we interpret it a little bit, but it's more or less what he presents to us from the jump, you know. Right. And how do you manage rehearsals being back and forth between here and New Orleans all the time? I'll go in for rehearsal, whether it's on the front end or the back end of a gig in New Orleans most of the time. Like if we have a gig, uh, if we have a gig at the Maple Leaf on a Friday, I might fly in on a Thursday so we can rehearse the day before, you know, or I'll stay a day after so we can flush out some of the details from the night before. You know what I mean? Right. Um, for the most part, we, we just, his book is so big, you know, we just have such a giant repertoire of tunes already that injecting fresh stuff into the set, we only need like four or five new ones, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, how often are you guys in the studio and like putting out records? In the studio, not that much. We recorded a bunch over 2021, uh, but then Hurricane, whatever the... Whatever the most recent one, the touchdown in New Orleans, um, it actually messed up his house and home studio pretty bad. Oh, so he's shit. in kind of an insurance battle right now to get everything taken out, and there's like black mold everywhere, and it's a whole hellish scenario. So we've got a good amount of material recorded. He just doesn't have a space where he can sit and edit it and really get it all done right now. So there is a record, but it's kind of just whenever he can get back on the, on the saddle, you know? Right. And it's like mostly original stuff or like a mix of covers. It's all original. It's all original. There's one cover, I think, but it's, it's, it's like a, it's an arrangement of a cover, you know? Hell yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. It's, it's all his original stuff. He's a genius songwriter, like playfully mixing words, like the old New Orleans, like Alan Toussaint used to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Just really, really 
he's a he's a well read like down home musician if that makes sense like he's he, clear he's got one foot in the just straight street new orleans world and one foot in the walt whitman very well read manipulation of the english language kind of thing you know right I mean? so he's he's kind of two people at once it's an interesting dynamic with the uh, with the New Orleans musicians. I feel like where that is like a, a thing you don't really see it too much in other cities. Um, maybe New York with the hip hop stuff, but like yeah. like, like L A, Chicago, you know, Miami, like uh, your Austin, Texas, whatever. Like some of the bigger Atlanta, some of the bigger music towns. Like there's a there's a certain thing that comes with New Orleans. Like there's a language yeah. that's spoken musically and otherwise that just kind of permeates the culture yeah. that that doesn't really exist anywhere else. I feel like, yeah, not, I mean, there's, there's regions where like black music is a really, really central thing. Like DC and the whole DMV area is the only place where they still have go-go and it's a very cultural thing. Like it's a huge deal there and still is even in the age of 2022 with radio play and all that, like go-go is still huge in the DMV area. I can't think of, like, you know, I guess Baton Rouge in the Texas area, like, the the whole Zydeco thing, that's really big in in Texas and, the, and Baton Rouge and everything like that. It's pretty big in New Orleans, too, though, right? I mean, Zydeco Yeah, it's stuff. big, but it's not as big. Like, west Louisiana, like, south and then west Louisiana, even into Houston, Zydeco, and in, in really in a lot of the black communities, is huge. Right, you know? right. Yeah, the regional thing is really interesting because there's not a lot of pockets left. You know, there's a lot of straight ahead in New York, but straight ahead's everywhere. Um, it's not really a New York centric thing anymore. Right. That's kind of what I'm saying with a lot of the styles. Like yeah. there, there's, there's, and the, and there's something even though New Orleans influ- influence is kind of like gone beyond New Orleans and made its way yeah. into modern pop music and across the you know around the world, but like there's still something about understanding like the history of the culture there and then like the language that's spoken on a, on a actual like linguistic level too, you know, Yeah. that just yeah. kind of like, I don't know. I, just, I noticed it with the musicians from new Orleans more than I noticed it with musicians from anywhere else where there's a street credit with understanding truly like what happens on the ground there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an attitude. It's a down home thing. Like I'm, when I do step out and play gigs here in Tampa, I'm, I'm kind of the wild card, you know, like, there's certain scenes in certain music cities where it's just very regimented and it has to be that way. Right. You know? Right. And then people like me show up who have been other places and I'm like, all right, y'all, let's do this shit. Come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's never, it's not like a gigged out, like, well, what's the chart for this song that the bride requested? Right. You know I mean? It's like, man, fuck that. It's Footloose. Let's play it. Yeah. Who cares? <laughs> you know? That's the kind of shit that I, I, I love that kind of shit, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the corporate wedding stuff. And then even like we find yeah. a, lot, a lot here in Jacksonville with the, I mean, obviously the corporate wedding stuff, but in the next layer of that, like the Southern Rock uh, grasp yep. on the culture here, like Leonard Skinner yep. being from here, a lot of other Southern Rock bands. And like that yep. still kind of just hasn't, uh, 
hasn't uh, figured out, we haven't figured out a way to let go of it just yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's I a nice like, way of saying it won't die. Yeah, it won't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just I, won't die. I don't, I don't yeah. want to die. It has its place. I'm you know kidding. what I mean? Yeah, and, and yeah I, it does though. In I, the seventies. Yeah, exactly. Seventies. <laughs> Again, kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, that's that's the kind of things I, that I really do admire about New Orleans and New York and. LA and some of the bigger music cities where it's just like, yeah. th there's kind of like this evolution, but still when it comes to New Orleans, just like not never letting go of the roots totally. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. yeah. It's thing. still very much a thing. New Orleans will still, New Orleans will still try to break that ceiling into the rest of the industry every once in a while. Uh, but it's, it's New Orleans is always going to be New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, well, you guys want to get some un unpopular opinions. Hell yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. Did uh, Chris right. tell you about this section here? Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, basically what we'll do is I'll start off, or Billy will start off. I'll, I'll go, and then we'll, uh, then we'll get yours on the last one. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Bill, what do you got this week? Um, I have two, but I think I'm going to go with I, the one that I have I don't think is an unpopular opinion. Oh, typical. Yeah. But it's I'm going to say it anyways because the other one I think will just make you mad. Uh, so, uh, have you ever been to a restaurant before and, uh, some like bozo will take your order, but for some reason, like crouches down to the ground. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those people need to leave the planet. I don't understand who started that or why anybody thought it was a great idea. I'm like, oh, well you're sitting at like, you know, a little bit below me. So let me get way below you yeah. as a power move or something. I feel like I'm like a four-year-old talking to an adult or something, I and know. I just want to like as soon as I do that, I just, I'm just like, what are you doing? Well, I'll punch you, you right in the that? fucking head. Maybe especially <laughs> when a guy does it. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> like a girl does it. I'm just like, well, okay, this is even weirder. But like when a guy does it, I'm like, bro, no, be a man. Like look at, <laughs> well, meet my eyeline. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, that's why I'm. Do you, do you get mad when they take the seat and they turn around and they sit down in the seat backwards? Oh, like, oh, a, like a dude, cool that's a weird one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I I think that's pretty dope actually. You think it's dope? That's still, that yeah, that's still a good luck. Yeah, Billy was kind of a nerd in high school, so you probably kind think of. he kind of looks at that and is just like, oh, that guy's so cool. Yeah, he I never, I could never. Well, pull it I off. mean, that's yeah. like that's actually being excited about their job. Which, if you're a waiter in 2022 and and you have actual passion about your job, fucking kudos. To good you, for bro. you. Yeah, yeah for there's, sure. There's a lot of like Jesus. annoying little things about uh, restaurants and stuff that I hate, but it like that 100 percent is my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> what do you like, think, AJ? Oh, about I hate that? it. Hate it. I wouldn't say I hate it, but it's definitely hilarious that it's that it happens enough that we all know what it what, what you're talking about. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really <laughs> bother me at all. I don't really have any kind of yeah. Uh, no, it, mean, it doesn't bother me, but it's just hilarious that it's happened to all of us. Yeah. yeah. Next time it does, I'm just I'm just dumping water. I'm just like, oh, sorry. No, if you were standing up, I guess it would have gotten your. Yeah. Shoes or Shoes. something, but now it's on your head. It probably will. <laughs> it probably will bother me now, though. It's the worst. You said that. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, whatever. It's I guess, guess that's a good one. All right. Yeah, it's a little condescending. I could see that. Um, <laughs> what do you got, Tony? Okay, so my unpopular opinion is that um, Umphreys McGee is not a jam band. Oh yeah, that's very unpopular. Did you? Did you? You went to go see them live, right? Yeah. And what's on two nights? What'd you think of their jamming? Uh, well, I th let me say this. I thought that the shows were amazing, and I'm a huge Umphreys fan, so I say this with all the love in the world. Yeah, but you only like their studio albums. Like, I like their like studio albums. No, they're jamming. <laughs> the the quote-unquote jamming was good, but I wouldn't really call it. I mean, there's like moments of improv, but I mean, I don't know what bands, 
even on, like on a pop level, probably have some moments of improv here and there. But like when it comes to, to what they were doing, to, to consider them a jam band is just not accurate. Those, like, Those, have you seen them live, AJ? Them live, AJ. Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't like, say it's a jam band. You're right. Yeah. They get lumped yeah. in. They, they get lumped in. They yeah. do. And I get that they're marketing to that crowd and that's all good and fine. And, yeah. um, you know, and like they play like, like, you know, one or two verses of a song or like one or two courses of a song. And then they kind of, then they do like these long quote unquote jams, but they're not, they're kind of like these orchestrated sections that kind of go on until a real clean cut. Yeah, I yeah, mean they're very polished. Yeah, the, the the amount of time yeah. that they that they last for is where the improv happens, but right? They, but they but th they still are a jam band though, <sighs> because that's that like if you go see their show, like they're gonna jam for forever. That's the whole point of what a jam band is. Yeah, but I just even don't if think it is kind jamming. of like you know, it's not really as experimental and out there as you know. Uh, uh, drums by the dead. You know what I mean? It's, but it's drums. jam. It's jam space adjacent. Drums, you know what I mean? Let's call it. Yeah, it's jam adjacent. adjacent. I like that. Yeah, it's you know what I mean. It's yeah. It's yeah because they, what they've done is they've, because like their jams are arranged like like these are like sections. There's hits. There's exactly. Like yeah. All yeah, this yeah. stuff happening. You're like, okay. Well, there was a cue that happened there that as a musician you're probably looking out for and you might catch, but the fans might not be as aware or maybe they are and they just love that. You know what I mean? But and yeah. like, there's like a there's like a moment here where it's okay. Here's your time to kind of solo and stretch out. And then you're going to do a lick that's going to cue us or you're going to kind of do a nod that's going to cue us and we're going to move yeah, on. Yeah, it's almost like it's conducted, you know what I mean? Yeah, like exactly. Like a live orchestra or something like that. I kind of get yeah. what you're saying. They're not like just going, you know, letting the music take it, take it but they're a jam band. Yeah, sorry. Very. That's a good unfathered opinion. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I, I've been saying this for a long time and I haven't actually seen Umphreys until about a month ago. Yeah. So um, now yeah, I yeah. feel like I can actually legitimately say that after seeing two shows. Now. Yeah. Like, like so. 40 times and I'm like, yeah, they're incredible. And then they are amazing. They're, yeah. They're one of the best jam bands. If you're a fan of their studio <laughs> albums, I will say that their live show can be a little underwhelming because you do. Yeah, of course. You know, like you want to see. Like I, I like their songs. I started out listening to Umphreys back in like 2011, 2012 or whatever, and I loved the studio stuff. So I yeah. wanted to hear those songs. And when I got to, you know, when I saw them nah, live, you, it was you like ain't getting that, nope. yeah, at all. So you ain't getting that, it's, 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 not it's, at all. It's its own experience, which is cool. But uh, yeah, yeah. they're not, not jamming in my yeah, opinion. I'm complete opposite. I I don't really like the studio stuff at all. Yeah, I think most people are like that yeah. for sure. All right. Um, I also like the uh, Dead Studio stuff more than I like their live stuff. Like, nah, you should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's I'll, a big one. I'll save that for another unpopular opinion. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a whole podcast by itself. Yeah, for sure. You like, um, you like John Mayer's new side project? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> his new cover band. Yeah, his new cover yeah. band, yeah. yeah. I mean, he did take he that did. role on very well. He's crushing that. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the pay wasn't that bad for that gig. Too. Totally, I can only imagine. He, but I know, but he, he took a pay he cut though, pay cut. for sure. Rather than yeah. going on tour with his own stuff, and that's why I'm kind of saying about musicians. Yeah, yeah. Going back to that, it's like musicians will go well below our worth or our own standard just because we yeah, enjoy yeah. doing something. We're a rare sure. breed of people like that, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. John Mayer will slum it out for a couple of years with the dead. You know yeah, taking I mean? like maybe... He'll cut back some expenses, you know. Yeah, maybe not fly private and just first class instead. Exactly. Or like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> get 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 down on the ground level with the rest of us. Yeah, exactly. Um, AJ, what's your unpopular <laughs> opinion, bro? All right, so this is a complex one, but this is uh, this has been my opinion for years. I love okay. it. Okay, 
it's it's gonna get wordy. Uh, modern radio hip hop has just as much information in it as what people call real music. So that's all the classic rock, all the rhythm and blues, everything that came before modern radio hip hop in the 2010s has just as much information in it as the fucking Rolling Stones, as Zeppelin, as Bob Dylan, as all that. What do you it mean just by information? Has, information means like just people say like, you know, baby boomers will say like, oh, the lyrics are just stupid or like these oh. songs are just repetitive, what, yada, yada, yada. I mean, information, you know what I mean? It just hasn't been codified yet. Like when people who, when people who are dark side of the moon, when it first came out on vinyl, you know what I mean? They, they were taken on a huge journey in here, right? I truly believe that there's just as much information that is absorbed by the consumers of modern top 40 radio hip hop. There's just as much information there. It just hasn't been codified yet. It, we haven't been able to put it into words what we're hearing yet. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. You I mean, know. You mean- I know when I hear like Hotline Bling by Drake. There's a lot of information that I'm hearing. Like, I'm getting a feeling from the loop. I'm getting a feeling from Drake talking about his ex-girlfriend. I'm getting a feeling from when the beat drops in the chorus. Like, it's a whole fucking thing. It just hasn't been around long enough for it to be codified globally yet. I hear I know what that's you're wordy, saying. But that's, no. that's, that's where I'm at. Modern, I'll, 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 I'll water it down. Modern radio hip-hop is just as complex and musically valid as all the rest of the music that came before it. That's now, what I'm that I will agree with you on, um, but more purely from a production standpoint, and I would probably start to part with you on where the lyrics come into play. Yeah, lyrics definitely not. However, however, so you take, you take John Bonham's drumming on When the Levee Breaks, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing's happening there. It's fucking boom. Boom, 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 nothing. There's that's the <laughs> most simple retarded drum part you've ever heard in your life. However, in the context of that recording, every time it comes on, some you get the hair on your on the bottom of your arm stands up. You go, oh shit, what? Ooh, ooh, whoa, you know what I mean? Totally. So totally. the simplicity of musical information doesn't necessarily mean that it's just a simple piece of information right i know what you mean i would say that the what we've learned about stuff like that uh, and this is just being devil's advocate here you you might Mm -hmm. be totally right but i think what we've learned about stuff like that is that there are uh there's like musicians that that play things and then there are artists right and like like john bonham was an artist and yeah yeah there's also like a world of production that went into that sound absolutely yeah yeah yeah. we're not just hearing the groove we're hearing the production choices we're hearing the whole thing so when it comes to um like modern hip-hop or like more like pop hip-hop uh like fergalicious (laughs) no that's uh, (laughs) um you wait that's gonna be like in the uh the museums i'm thinking more of like 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 there's like artists 2008 like who's that guy that did like panda and all that kind of shit like that? Like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So designer, stuff, yeah. So like stuff like that where it's like, yeah, there's production choices that are being made that I think are yeah, yeah. like next level that we're gonna look back on and be like, oh shit, that was pretty innovative. But when it comes to yeah, yeah. what they're actually saying, which for me is what like what hip hop. I'm not like I don't come from that like producer like audiophile yeah, it, world. It used to come from a lyrical standpoint, and now it's definitely not. 
at least in the radio world. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, that's. It, I won't debate that, but I will stand my ground on. There's just as much information that comes into the listener's ear. Yeah, you know I, I, mean? I think you're right about that. I think you're. Yeah. I think you. I think you nailed that in the head. Actually, mm-hmm. what do you think? Yeah, Bill? when auto tune is used, it's definitely not what the person sounds like up front. But when John Bonham played "When the Levy Breaks," that's not what he sounded like in a room. That's what he sounded like in a stairwell. You know what totally, I mean? Totally, totally. You, you resurrect him from the dead and put a drum set in front of him in a dry room. The drums aren't going to sound like "When the Levy Breaks" unless you put him in that stairwell. You know, totally, so. totally, totally. There was fuck, man. Jacob, uh, we had a guest on who runs a studio here in Jacksonville a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. he made this uh, analogy with auto tune, and because it was like I was saying something about it, like Usher made a comment when T Pain made uh, met him, and T Pain was like, "Oh, Usher, I'm a huge fan." Blah blah, and then Usher goes like, "Oh, uh, you single handedly ruined music." <laughs> you know? And it was like that's literally what I was thinking about. Is is I fell in love with a stripper. I'm like, so that's. That's iconic. That's just like. Well, you know, the thing is, the, what I was saying about like the auto tune reference, like saying that it gave people that weren't otherwise talented like a platform to to like compete in a, yeah. in, a in a market that other talented people were trying to legitimately co- compete in. But yeah. the the way that he kind of like like compared it with something else, I can't remember what the exact comparison was, but it was like, oh shit, like yeah, that actually makes total sense because the idea that like. You know, I guess. Oh, with with Dawes, that's what he was saying. Like, like, like with like yeah. Logic or like Pro Tools or whatever, where it's like you know, the idea that you have to do something a specific way in the creative sphere yep. is kind of like limiting. You know, like okay, well, without yep. Dawes, we wouldn't have any of these productions that we have like in the last yep. thirty years. Yeah. You know, so like, the is auto tune the, the same the kind of thing? The biggest parallel that I can I can draw with like the whole the giant conversation of like older music with less technology that that whole umbrella is the painting versus the camera right? right so when the camera was first invented every single painter was like what the fuck is this you just <laughs> yeah. hit a button you know what i mean <laughs> you just hit a button and the fucking painting appears are you shitting me that no, who's you know what i mean what is this now you fast forward photography is its own art form that if you know how to do it you really know how to do it and it's something that people who don't know how to do it can't even touch. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that's that's kind of where we're at with technology and music. That's, yeah, that, that's how I like to look at it, at least. That, you have to, yeah. That elitism or whatever, it'll, just, it'll get you nowhere. Yeah, it really doesn't. I still, <laughs> I still, yeah, it's definitely unpopular because I don't, I don't really agree nobody with wants to be. Nobody wants to be the last... Uh, horse and carriage salesman in Detroit. Yeah, sure. You don't want to be that man. You got it. It's not. You know. well, it's I, just. I like, just think there's so so many bad songs out of that era. Yeah, that you but can sure. talk about that. So I'm just like, are. There's no, 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 no. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Like fucking. What, what about uh, Gwen Stefani? What about her? Bananas. What about that song? I mean. <laughs> the hell does that mean? Again, if you look at it from oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, like from from a lyrical standpoint, you know, whatever. Nailed but like it. from a production standpoint, <laughs> yeah, again, lyrically, it's lyrically, it's stupid, man. But something <laughs> happens when that song comes on. Yeah, people yes. lose Some their shit. Happens, so it's like, who are we? You know, that's what I'm. That's what I mean by saying it hasn't been codified yet. Yeah, you know? that's so true. Actually, I, I think I so agree it's like, with you. It, like Elvis wasn't really the smartest guy musically, you know, but. That first TV appearance 
some shit happened when people saw that. You know what I mean? Totally. I'm trying to think of some other like really just retarded lyric <laughs> instances of like lyrics and classic rock that people say is the monolith of like you know. Well, I mean, listen to the Beatles, man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the Beatles are like. There, there's some stuff that like the Beatles are my my favorite band of all time. So I say this yeah. from that perspective. Like, yeah. the Be- like some of the stuff, like that Paul McCartney wrote was a little bit more um, digestible. You know what I mean? You can, exactly. You, you can put it together. But then you listen to yeah. what like John Lennon. I listen to fucking uh, like "Losing the Sky with Diamonds" or like um, uh, fucking exactly. "Strawberry yeah. Fields," yeah. and you're just like, "What are you even talking about?" You know what I mean? <laughs> It's like, but there's something in there. Yeah, yeah. You know then I mean? it, then it, it definitely gets to the. There's a, there's a crossover where it, there's a crossover where it goes from being really intelligent to just like, all right, dude, I get it. You're artsy. Yeah, Ooh. exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I don't think that's what was happening with Gwen Stefani and Holla Batgirl or what was happening with that fucking panda song, right? <laughs> by any means. Yeah, yeah. However, yeah. Um, there's definitely what they did figure out was like. You know this kind of, um, uh, I guess, like musical meme that people could kind of like get infected by, and then sure. the and the production stuff sure. that was sure. you know not existing ten years ten years prior to it. You know what I mean? Like being like in that way, like all yeah, the information yeah, yeah. coming through from all those different angles. That's the kind of stuff that I think um, you might be alluding to. That I that would be one hundred percent on board with. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and people just talk about the '60s and '70s being this great time for music. You know what came out in the '60s? The bird is the word. Yeah, you know what I mean. You, <laughs> you know what came out in the '60s? I'm Henry the Eighth. I there am. There you like, go. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. We're not. We're not gonna just cast this wide blanket over two decades of music like nobody was making dog shit. Like, no, we're not gonna do that. Uh, all right, here's since you just brought that up, just one last question. Oh, what, just one last real what, quick question. What was what, what <laughs> yeah. if you had to get if you had to get rid of one decade of music, we talk about this on almost every podcast. One decade of music from the fifties to right now, what goes for you? Gun to your head, oh you gotta choose. Oh man. That's a difficult one, man. I'll, I'll start uh, off for you. And we, everyone here knows, like, the 80s for me can just go away. And I get that we're going to so, lose. Some, I would never say the 80s. The 80s would be my last choice. Thank really? You. So yeah. I, I know there's a, lot of, there's a lot of great innovation that happened there, but just overall, um, it can the go The 80s hell. in pop music was a weird time, but the 80s, oh, in, the 80s in most black club music is fucking gold. I will never say that's got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Man, do you think um, some of those are those starting in the 70s? Do you know who Morris Day was? Like yeah, but I just... That's, that's what I'm saying, man. You got to get rid of Prince. Thing. You got to get rid of Chaka no, no, Khan. You Prince got, started oh, yeah, in the 70s. Prince started in the 70s and was yeah, also... Yeah, but Prince has music in the 80s. Nah, you, nope. Oh, uh, bro. First never. two records, come on. First two Prince records, 78, 79, come on. Got to. Oh, no, those are amazing. Purple Rain, controversy. Okay, all right. I'm going to go... I'm going to go... I'm gonna go controversial, even if the, even if this is getting rid of most of the amazing uh, bebop that happened at the time and post bop that happened at the time. I'm gonna go fifties. Fifties, yeah. huh? You're gonna get rid of all the rock and roll stuff too. Yeah, I'm Little Richard, go. Chuck Berry, Elvis Presley, I could, Jerry I could, Lee Lewis. I could do. I could do without it. Yeah. The sixties don't exist I could without, do without it. it. I mean, the sixties. The '60s, yeah, the '60s had so much amazing shit. I, I, it's just because I could, I could do without Bobby Darren and yeah, you know I what I mean. I, just, yeah. I feel that yeah. if it, ha- if you had to pick one, yeah, '50s, huh? Know? I get, I, I get the '50s too. I understand. That's kind of where I'm at. 
Bill, you're still with uh, the 70s, you said? What? No. What did you say? Uh, I'm probably on his his side of things. Either that or like 2000, 2010. 20, yeah, 2000, 2010. Or possibly, and I know this really See, sucks, that's a but, weird part too because then you got to get rid of early Kanye. Yeah, but yeah. I was I was even going to say maybe the 90s, honestly. Because like like you you lose Nirvana 100%, but I mean whatever. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Um, I can't. I can't really think. You of lose like, Tupac. You lose Biggie. You yes, lose like all like the '90s hip hop. That is true. And so it's a hard one to decide. But you also lose Creed. <laughs> so yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. The '90s is probably be a close. You second. also lose. Uh, uh, oh my God! Why can't I think of his achy uh, break your heart as well? What's his fucking name? Oh, Hannah Montana. Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. Yeah. Get rid of Billy him. Ray Cyrus. Right. That was a banger though. We're not going to sleep on that. No, bro, the it. 90s country can go hits. right really? to hell, bro. I can't oh, stand man. it, bro. No, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. But here's here's how we're going to here's how we're going to sign off the podcast. Everybody who's listening to this, go listen to T R O U B L E by Travis Tritt. That song is a fucking heater. I do like I Travis Tritt. He's he's all right. I do like him. Yeah. Trouble right. by Travis Tritt. That song is a fucking heater. I swear <laughs> to god. Uh, AJ, man, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure having you on the podcast, bro. This has been awesome. Appreciate Thank you, you so much for doing this. Uh, Thanks, we, man. Uh, good luck with everything. You got some tour dates coming up with, with, with John Cleary? Yeah, uh, just some one-offs. You know, uh, not like tour dates, tour dates, but everything's at on his website, johncleary.com. Um, anybody out there who's looking for drum breaks, leftfielddrumbreaks.com is where I'm at. Hell yeah, man. We'll, uh, we'll definitely keep in touch with you and keep up with what you got going on. Thanks again. Thanks again. And uh, good Hell luck yeah, with man. everything, bro. Appreciate you, man. Hell yeah. Catch you All later. right, yo. Later, man. Yeah, yeah. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>